Dun, da, da, da. I'm proud to announce that Millionaire Interviews has officially signed up with AdvertiseCast. They're a podcasting network that'll bring us advertisers so you can keep listening for free. Now that we have advertisers, here's our request. If you're interested in any of the products or services that we advertise, then please use the affiliate link that we give you during the ad. Hell, even if you aren't interested in the product, then just use the link to support the show. But in all seriousness, I'm only taking on advertisers that I think could actually benefit you. So if you want us to keep producing more episodes of Millionaire Interviews, then take a second and visit our advertising links. They pay us, so you don't have to. And we'll put all of our advertising affiliate links in the episode description of your Android or iPhone. So take a second right now to check it out. Thank you again for supporting the podcast by sharing it with others and visiting our advertisers. And the way that I work is all based around the stock market. That's priority number one. Like I'm not like just some random guy selling drugs or trading Bitcoin, you know, 24 seven. Just a heads up, before you go much further with this episode, there is some foul language. So if you're not in an appropriate setting to hear some F-bombs, then you might want to tune into this episode at another time. Full disclosure, for this interview, and really all of them, we do our best to limit the profanity, but at the end of the day, I want our guests to be real and be themselves. So with that in mind, let's get this started. Sure. I mean, nobody ever grows up wanting to be a penny stock trader. Like, <laughs> right, yeah, that's what I wanted. Like, hey, I want to be like the wolf of Wall Street. This is not what I wanted. Every penny stock has a seemingly amazing story, and they're all pretty much liars. It's going to take a shitload of effort. It's going to take a shitload of time, but it'll be worth it. The key that I really want your listeners to understand is that if you... 99.9% of people who teach about the stock market or who are these online gurus are just full of shit. And I don't want to be that guy. All right. Well, you know, I think we're good. Actually, I do have one question. The only thing is your birthday. I don't know if that was the input by accident or wrong because I just gained all that so I can mix up the guests on their sure. ages and stuff. It's uh, April 15th, 1981. Oh, 1981. Okay. My Wikipedia is different because my fucking haters keep changing it. <laughs> <laughs> literally the most annoying thing why do they do that just to fuck with me i think i don't know they do a good job people always like wish me a happy birthday on like a different day and it's just annoying yeah do you enjoy the haters or no i mean i use them to push me to kind of just work harder i wouldn't work this hard i'm already rich enough but i need to prove them wrong so i think we all have those different motivations that's kind of what drove me initially when i left my old job my boss was kind of telling me that i couldn't succeed i'm like okay we'll see about that there you go. Exactly. Whatever it takes. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I think we're good to go. Usually I just have the guests introduce themselves and tell us about like what you do, where you're located. And then I'll just kind of zigzag around from there and figure out what's best for our audience as far as what cool. they can learn. Sounds good. All right. So whenever you're ready, go ahead. Sure. My name is Tim Sykes. I'm a stock trader and teacher. 
I trade stocks literally from all over the world. That's part of the beauty of my job where I've been to over 113 countries. I started with just roughly 12 grand in bar mitzvah gift money. My parents gave it to me thinking that I would lose it all and that it would be a good lesson. And I screwed up all their plans by turning it into nearly $2 million while I was in college, just trading stocks every day, taking night classes, kind of living a messed up life. And I've had a wild, wild ride. Once you make a few million dollars, your world changes. I'm from a middle-class neighborhood in Orange, Connecticut. I was not ready for any of this. I starred in this TV show called Wall Street Warriors back in 2006, 2007. It became a weird underground hit online. And I started getting a ton of questions saying, hey, how do I turn a few thousand into a few million? And there was just so much BS and misinformation on the internet. I was like, well, you know, I'm real. So I might as well teach this. You know, I don't win all the time, but I have done the seemingly impossible. I started teaching in 2007, 2008. I've been teaching for 10 years. I have several millionaire students now. My top student has turned 1,500 into nearly 6 million. He's a far better trader than I am. And I kind of think of myself as Archie Manning, where Archie Manning is father to Peyton and Eli Manning, even though Archie Manning himself never won a Super Bowl. His two sons have won multiple Super Bowls. And I'm just looking for more students because I find that it takes a lot of dedication to actually turn a few thousand dollars into a few million. And I need to find dedicated students. And they're at random places all over the world. I am on a massive worldwide hunt for more people who want to be rich, but who understand that it's not going to be easy that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and that basically I'm a glorified history teacher. You better be ready to study stock market history because that's what I teach. How did you initially get on that show? Because actually, that's how I first heard about you. It was a weird, I think it was an odd network too. And I just remember I was in college at the time. I'd come home and I'd see you like during the afternoons or whatever and actually see you on that TV show. And it was funny that I just decided to reach out after I started doing this podcast. I'm like, yeah, maybe he'd be good at guest to have on. But yeah, yeah how did you initially get on that? Yeah. I mean, I'm like kind of like Forrest Gump. Like things just happened to me. It's, I don't plan it. I was kind of pissed off at the time I was running a hedge fund. I couldn't really get my name out there because back then there were rules regarding hedge funds where you can't advertise. And I was this cocky kid and I was, you know, and made all that money. And I was like, everyone should know my strategy. Everyone should hear about me. I was trying different stuff. It wasn't succeeding. I got invited by a producer to play myself and just be myself on one episode. And I was so angry at the time because I was doing well and no one really cared. So I was just drunk in every episode. I ended up starring in five of six episodes because frankly, nobody else was drunk and most finance people were boring. I just let it all hang out there. No, it's pretty interesting show too. Did you originally, you got, you said you got invited, but were you trying to reach out to other networks and kind of get on TV to get your name out there? No, not really. I mean, I was on CNBC one day. Again, I was drunk. I had a drinking problem back then. I was funny on CNBC and the producer saw me on CNBC and thought that I would be good for his show. That was when you were in New York, but you said you're originally from Connecticut. I was just looking at your profile. It seems like you've kind of been around. I mean, where did you end up going to school? Yeah. So I can't stay in one place. I am a, a trader in the truest sense. I went to, to Tufts University actually first in Boston freshman year, but I made nearly a million dollars and I was a jackass about it. So everyone knew and I had to get out of there because no one likes a rich young jackass. And I changed schools down to Tulane in New Orleans, which created my drinking problem. And I had a good time there. It was okay to be a jackass there. It was fun. Yeah, I guess you have enough people coming in and out of town that you could just make friends that way and didn't matter. 
I made friends. I make friends wherever. I'm pretty open about everything. I'm pretty low key. You know, it's weird when you have money. It does change things where no one really teaches how to be a millionaire. Like you're not prepared for anything. Like I didn't know that I was going to have all these issues with my cars and my houses and, and how people would treat me. I mean, it's kind of taboo to talk about money. So I was like, wait a minute, there's a business opportunity here. Let me make my whole business about talking about the subjects that people want to know about, but are too afraid to ask. And I agree. Why don't you touch on that a little bit more? Like what were you going through? Imagine most people listening don't understand that. After you have a lot of money, maybe when you initially didn't have it, how did things start to change? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I became a philosophy major. Like I needed therapy. Philosophy was my therapy to deal with the change just in how people treat you, what you can and can't do. When you're walking around and you can literally buy anything. Like if you go to the mall, it changes your perspective. Like it's, it's really kind of messed up and, and you start to understand, okay, like I knew some rich people and they didn't seem very nice. Like they seem to have kind of like this bitter attitude in life. And I was like, why would you have that? You know, you're rich, you can have anything. But once you can have anything, it kind of loses its value. Your perspective has changed. Your values are changed. You have to still try to find happiness. A lot of the people that I meet around the world, I mean, it's actually interesting. Now that I've been to so many countries, I started my charity, the Timothy Sykes Foundation, two years ago. We've now built 36 schools. My goal is to build a 1,000 schools. And I love visiting these communities because I visit these people who have literally nothing, and they are so happy just to be alive with the simplest things, just with their family. And then I know several billionaires, and they're massively unhappy because everyone knows how much money they have. Women try to use them. Their wealth is a prison. You know, obviously, there's a whole lot in between between being dirt broke and very rich. But it's crazy the kind of world that we live in and the perspective that you can have when you can really buy stuff and you have endless freedom. That was a big thing. When I made my first million, I had endless freedom and I was living all over the place. I went to Tulane just because it was fun uh, down in New Orleans. Philosophy helped me learn a lot. That really helped me saved me actually from making a lot of mistakes that I think a lot of these athletes make when they make a lot of money too quickly and they don't really have the right perspective or the right tools to, to even mentally grasp it. But I was very bored when I made my first million because I had already achieved all my goals. And I was like, damn, like what's left? And life kind of loses a little excitement. When did you exactly make that switch? And was there like a light bulb moment then that you realized you had to get the therapy or... I'm just trying to figure out how you're able to get through that. Because again, most people just think, oh, it's all great. Once you make money, then my life's solved. But yeah, there are some issues with it. I mean, it brings up a whole new issues, issues that are not as easy to overcome. Obviously, philosophy helped just studying all the masters like Aristotle and Plato that really helped me get through it in college. It didn't like cure me. I was still not as happy as I am now. And so I did turn to drinking for several years. I mean, I was a mess. And I was just like, well, life has no meaning. I might as well do nothing and just have fun. I was living in Europe. I lived in Madrid. I lived in Rome for a few months. I was just going wherever I could just to try different stuff to see what could excite me. And it was kind of what sounds amazing. Like, oh, I lived in Europe. But it was a, a very lost period. And really, I guess the, the light bulb moment really didn't happen until two years ago, two and a half years ago now when I donated a million dollars to my favorite charity, Pencils of Promise. And I only donated that amount because I was in Laos and I saw my first school that was built in Asia and I saw the kids' faces and I talked with the community members and I started seeing what money could and should be used for. And that really gave my life meaning. You know, I love teaching. I love traveling. I love eating. 
and I love meeting new people. But once I could now literally change a community, Laos is a very small, poor country. When I announced that I was going to donate a million dollars, the announcer didn't even understand. Like she mistranslated it. She thought I was donating a thousand dollars, which they would still be grateful for. But I wanted to do something big and I want to change people's lives through education because as happy as you are, if you have nothing, education is going to open up the world to you. And I've been very blessed to travel the world and see so much and it's only due to education. So now I kind of have this mission in life to pass down education through my own teachings in the stock market, but also by building schools with my charity. Well, let's talk about from graduating college and then your journey up till kind of today. Were you just independent stock trader right out of college and were you trading in college? And then you said you had moved to Europe afterward. Were you doing day trading this whole time or just give us a little bit more background on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've always been trading ever since high school. I'm a true addict. I'm like an alcoholic bartender. This is my passion. And a lot of it is just controlling the addiction. Like some days I don't trade. Like today, I don't see anything great to trade. So I just don't trade. But in some form or another, I'm always trading. Right out of college, I had a hedge fund where I was managing my money and then the money of a few rich snobs who I've come to really dislike. I thought that I could run a billion dollar fund and make a lot more money that way. Unfortunately, I trade penny stocks, which are small stocks. They're really ideal for small accounts rather than large accounts. So my hedge fund didn't really go anywhere. The TV show Wall Street Warriors opened up the door for me to teach. And because I'm still trading, I mean, a lot of teachers just quit trading or they never even traded in the first place. There's a lot of frauds in my industry. I've always wanted to trade and show it. So whether I'm trading for myself and rich people and showing my performance, or if I'm teaching, I'm trading for myself and showing my trades. Like I actually live video stream my trades. People can ask me questions and stuff like that. And I just want to be able to show it. So I've tried every single angle with trading, but I'm always trading. I'm always looking for ways to make money in the market. And now I like to share it and show other people. That was why you're in New York, but you said you had visited over a hundred countries. I'm just curious about your path along the way. Cause how old were you when you did the TV show and doing the hedge fund? Yes, it's a tricky path. I wish I could keep up. I was in my early 20s. I literally started my hedge fund senior year of college. I don't recommend starting a business while you're also in college because you're trying to multitask and you just can't do it. One will always be let down. But then the TV show, I was 25, 26, and I got started teaching right around then. Now I'm 36 years old. Over time, did you just decide that you wanted to start teaching a little bit more or was that a light bulb moment as well? Because I guess you're just focused on the hedge fund at first, right? Yeah. Again, it's, it's kind of been this gradual evolution of, of wanting to make money, did that, and then wanting to find meaning from the money. So at first I made the money, then I'm teaching. Teaching gave me a little fulfillment, but now it's teaching plus travel plus charity. And that seems to be the key formula. And again, like I know you asked me like where you were in New York, you were in New Orleans. Once you understand that the internet allows you to work from anywhere, you literally can be anywhere. I can trade stocks from Laos. I can trade stocks from Rome or Madrid. Right now, today, as we're doing this, I'm in Beverly Hills. Tomorrow, I'll be in Miami. Next week, I'll be in South Africa. We're working with this charity called VetPaw, which is pretty cool. They're former Marines who use their training to outwit poachers. So I'm going to go to South Africa, learn their techniques, feed baby elephants and baby hippos, and donate $75,000 to their cause. Well, I guess I'm just trying to see how you're able to manage your time. Like, What was your daily lifestyle like being able to travel and being able to do all this? Because I think ultimately a lot of people are listening who want to be entrepreneurs or are entrepreneurs. 
also want to live that lifestyle. Not the extravagant like million dollar lifestyle necessarily, but the ability to travel while you're able to work as well. Yeah. You want structure and you want a plan and I have no plan and I have no structure. <laughs> My day and the way that I work is all based around the stock market. That's, I think, priority number one. Like I'm not like just some random guy selling drugs or trading Bitcoin, you know, 24 seven. Everything is based on the US stock market, which I trade. I always have to somehow be awake or be in a place where I can work from around 9 a.m. Eastern. Depending on what country I'm in, what time zone I'm in, it's very different. In Asia, you know, I try to work graveyard shift hours and I love sushi. So I work in Japan from like 10 p.m. till 4 a.m. Then I go to Tsukiji Fish Market at 5 a.m. for some sushi. Then I sleep from like 6 a.m. to like 1 p.m. Like it's, it's messed up. Europe, the U.S. stock market doesn't open until 3 p.m. in South Africa too. So I'm excited to be in South Africa where I can sleep in. You know, I'm not good at waking up in the morning and I try to structure my day around 3 p.m. Most of the stock market opportunities happen right around the market open. If I can just kind of plan my day around giving myself an hour or two at the market open to work and try to make some money and make some good trades, that's what I do. And you brought it up. So what do you think about Bitcoin? <laughs> I mean, no, it's the latest mania. I know, I, mean, I know, dude. If I had a Bitcoin podcast, I'd talk to a guy who has one. Just There's like 10 of them like in the top 100. It's just kind of crazy. I mean, it's the latest mania. And, and the pattern, maybe it takes off, maybe it doesn't. But the pattern is eerily similar to so many manias before that have boom and bust. If you look at Ebola stocks, stocks that had treatments with Ebola and Ebola was supposed to wipe out humanity. And then it didn't. Aaron Hernandez killed more people than Ebola did. And that was a boom and bust scenario. So Bitcoin has the same pattern. I think that there are some arguments that can be made that it has a future much more than Ebola ever did. But at the same time, I'm a patterns guy. So I don't care what I think. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care the pros or the cons. You could say it's a scam. You could say it's going to go to a million. I focus on patterns. And for me, it's dead to me right now because the pattern has bust. So I'm interested right when it's booming. If it booms again, then that's fantastic. I'll trade it again. I trade crypto and Bitcoin related stocks. I don't trade the currency itself. There's a lot of problems with a lot of the Bitcoin brokers and also the 24-7 nature of that market does not interest me. I already work ridiculous hours just with all my trading and teaching. You know, I make a video lesson with every single trade that I make. I do webinars. I have 5,000 video lessons now. It's something I don't need any more of, but I'll trade it if it fits my pattern. And we kind of hit on it. I think maybe people who don't have an idea of what penny stocks are, can you talk about that a little bit more and how you got into this niche starting off? Sure. I mean, nobody ever grows up wanting to be a penny stock trader. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what I've wondered. Like, hey, I want to be like the wolf of Wall Street. And this is not what I wanted. But I tried investing in big companies. You know, my parents gave me control of the 12 grand. And I just sat there for three months. I was investing in big companies like IBM and Netscape, business objects at the time and Viacom. My account wasn't moving. So this was back in 99. I gravitated towards penny stocks, which are stocks trading under $5 a share. And they move. These stocks can go up or down 50 or 100% in a day or two based on different news. It's kind of like the stock market on crack. And a lot of people hate on it because of like the Wolf of Wall Street, where you have most of these companies that are just getting promoted by insiders who are pitching their stories and pumping them up while secretly dumping them. It's called pumping and dumping. And it's illegal. That's what the Wolf of Wall Street did. But the interesting thing is that the Wolf of Wall Street was pre-internet. So you would get you know, a phone call and you would get marketed this stock and naive people or dumb people would believe it. 
Now with the internet, I have 8,000 blog posts on timothysykes.com where I've just exposed a lot of these penny stocks. Like you can do the research. Google allows you to do a little street view of their offices, traded stocks where the companies are based out of honey-baked ham stores. They're, they just have a UPS box. They're a joke. But if you understand how the pumping and dumping works, you know, you can see when promoters are pumping it. And the beautiful thing about pumping in the internet age, as opposed to telemarketing, is that when a company gets marketed via emails or now WhatsApp also, there's been a few promotions. At the bottom of the email, in order to make it legal promotion, they have to put a little disclaimer, like we have been paid $500,000 or we have been paid 500,000 shares in order to advertise this stock. So you literally can see which companies are getting advertised and you can see the budget and you can see the emails coming in and you kind of know that the pumping will last, whether it's a, a day, if it's a small budget, or if it's a bigger budget, a week, or sometimes even a month. And you can kind of see the pattern forming where it's going to go up and up and up every single day while it's being pumped and advertised. And then when the pumping and emails stop, it's just going to fall out of the sky like a, a jet plane with no fuel. So it's not as random as you might think. It's not as scary as you might think. You just have to think different. These stocks don't move based on earnings and revenues like big companies like Amazon or Facebook do. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially for small businesses. You don't have the time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way you work today. Gusto is here to change all that. They're making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. In fact, 9 out of 10 customers say Gusto is easier to use than other payroll solutions. Gusto also saves you time. 72% of customers spend less than 5 minutes to run payroll. Don't believe all the good things you're hearing about Gusto? Well, just Google them. People love Gusto. And how often do you actually hear someone say they love their payroll provider? So, to help support the show, go to gusto.com forward slash millionaire. They're offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. You'll get three months free once you do your first payroll. And again, the link is gusto.com forward slash millionaire. When you have students that you're teaching about this, are they glued in, I guess, during those stock hours? Or are they working like 24-7, your greatest students who've actually done something as far as, I guess you're, you talked about a few that have made a couple million? I mean, every student is different. Some people like actually going long these these stocks. I mean, I blog posts that kind of mess with people where I'm like, why I invested $50,000 into this scam? And people are like, what are you doing? It's a scam. And I explain the pumping process, how I think the promoters are going to pump it for a few more days. And that really mess with people. So I have some students who like going long, but you can actually profit when stocks drop. It's called short selling. Most of my top students recognize that a lot of these penny stocks are scams, that they're bound to crash. So they short sell them and they bet against them. So it's not a question of if with these scams, it's a question of when. And for them, sometimes they short sell them for a day. If you're in a blatant scam and you know that the company's going to go out of business and the stock has already gone from, let's say like one to four, they just find the shares to short or they try to, you're not always guaranteed to, but they find the shares to short and they hold them for days or weeks or months. You take one position and you don't have to trade every day. Like it's not about trading every single second 
It's about trying to spot good opportunities. And then everyone has different personalities with their preferred holding time. What's been your best opportunity that you've ever made in the trade market? I'm always changing. I mean, a few years ago, if you had interviewed me, I was mainly a short seller, just exposing a lot of these scams and betting against them. And I would hold for anywhere from an hour to a day to a week. It's been a very tough decade to be a short seller. So I've adapted and gone long. You know, a lot of my best trades have been on Bitcoin plays where there have been some stocks, LFIN went from five to 140 in two days. You know, now it's hanging around 30. But it's crazy how much upside and explosive potential Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain plays have had. So it totally depends on the market. I mean, I've made $200,000 in a day before I've made several hundred thousand dollar days. I've never really lost big in any one play lately because I've been really clamping it down, being a teacher, you know, showing my screen, making video lessons and having kind of this responsibility to my students where it's just not worth it to take big risks anymore. You know, back early on in my career, I could do it because I didn't know any better. I didn't have anybody watching me. And frankly, it was fun to bet big. Now I'm kind of like this boring penny stock trader. Like penny stocks are, are volatile enough. Now I'm like safety first, cut losses quickly. So I think my biggest loss in the past two or three years was like 10 grand. And my biggest gain was like 70,000. Again, I don't win 100% of the time, but if you win, I think my winning percentage is roughly around 70%. If you win 70% of the time and your wins are bigger than your losses, your account grows over time. And how would you deal with that in the beginning, like the ups and downs? Because especially, I guess, if you're betting a little bit bigger and didn't really care about the downside, at least early on when you were younger, there'd be, I imagine, huge swings in emotions after you win. Or yeah, I would win big and then I would lose big. And I, I really didn't know the rules. The rules have kind of been crystallized for me over the past few years. And especially now, as I see students trading and, and learning how to manage their risk and manage their losses, it's a gradual evolution of what you want in the markets. You can still take big risks. I have some students who are like, shut up, Tim. You're playing it too safely. You get out too quick. And I say, that's fine. But that's where I'm at in this point in my life. Looking back, at least as of today too, are you the only person doing these classes or does someone help you keep organized? Like, How are you able to structure, I guess, your educational company with also your trading? Gotcha. No. I mean, I have roughly 40 employees. My mom and dad both work for me. I mean, it's a whole family business. I have a whole support team where we have customer support, we have programmers, we have designers, we have video editors. I'm just responsible for the same old thing that I've always done, which is trading and now teaching. So I try to basically hire out because I'm not, I can't do everything. You know, I'm, I'm still, even though I'm traveling, even though I'm having fun with my life, I'm still working 16, 18 hours days, just trying to write blog posts, make video lessons. Right now I'm in a studio making a guide, a new guide for like the basics on, on how this new market kind of changes the rules. I'm still trading. So I'm responsible for content. How did you hire that first employee? With your education company? My first employee, Adarsh, actually found me because I wrote a book called An American Hedge Fund where I talked about how I had made all the money and I'd lost roughly a third of it by being too cocky and not knowing the rules. And he had read the book. This was after Wall Street Warriors aired. And he had previously worked for some of the penny stock promoters. So I was kind of the first one to expose how the whole system worked. I never worked for a promoter. I never knew that side of the business. But I knew how the stocks acted. So I was trying to teach that. And he came to me and he said, Hey, Tim, he's the programmer for some promoter. And he said, I'm so sick of getting all these emails, you know, from people where they've lost 50% of their money or 100% of their money. 
you seem to be on the right side of the equation here. So let me come work for you. And he did. And at that point in time, was he saying that, hey, let's do an educational company? Because you were still just kind of trading. And I guess you had that book. Yeah. I mean, I thought that I was going to make a, a billion dollars from my book and it was going to be an, an all-American classic. And after like 20 years, I think we sold like 20,000 copies or 10 years has been. So the book didn't take off, but the book was an entrance into my own kind of publishing, I guess, brand. Because at first, Wiley offered me 35 grand for my book and to be a published author back in 2006, 2007 was a big deal. But at the same time, I was like, this is my life story. 35 grand after still had to pay like an editor, like four grand and an agent four grand. I was like 25 grand. Fuck that. You know, I, I created my own publishing company. So the book was the first, even though the book didn't take off like I hoped, I got a lot of good feedback. I got that, you know, employee who created my website. My first website was like based in Joomla, which is a, an ancient programming language. And then the website started taking off and I started getting a lot of questions. I didn't even know that I was going to have a newsletter or a chat room. I was just responding to people who were leaving comments on my website. Again, I really am Forrest Gump. I put one thing out and then just things happen. Well, I think that's the important part that you like added value by having the book. And then I guess your first quote unquote employee found you that way. And at that point in time, were you just asking them, hey, help me build a website so I can reach more people? Or did y'all have a plan? Hey, maybe we can start teaching people what you know a little bit, make a company from that. No, we didn't know what we were going to do. We just knew we were on the right side of an industry that did not have a solution. And most people were like, well, okay, so you can expose penny stocks, you can spot the scams. But the way that I found customers back then and students or potential students was they would find my blog posts early on where I exposed the penny stock, but I didn't have any reach like the promoters did. They would find me after they lost 50 or 100% of their money. So they didn't have any money to pay me for training. So that wasn't even a real thought of like, let's create a business. It was mainly like, let's get the truth out there and see what happens, just like I did with my book. And then the book created the website, the website created the feedback, and then the feedback told me to create a chat room and alerts. And I had one DVD where I was explaining the rules. And now I have 15 DVDs because I keep getting more and more questions. And the rules are not an exact science. That's the, the good and bad with this where, you know, in mathematics, nine plus seven always equals 16. But in the stock market right now, we're kind of in this weird environment where nine plus seven might equal 12. So I have to constantly update the rules and kind of teach what's working now. Tell us what you learned about writing your first book, what you thought going in and what you found out coming out because you had no background in the publishing world, correct? Yeah. So Wiley offered me the money. I was like, that's crazy. I think I can do better on my own. So I read this book. I read multiple books about how to self-publish and I created my own publishing company. I was so angry back then. I did not even think in terms of making money off the business. I was just like, I need to expose this. So I called my publishing company Bullshit Media and or Bullshit Press, my bad and bullshit with a P at the end. But it's funny when you say it, it sounds like bullshit. And the whole goal was to ship educational books and, and eventually guides that would cut through the BS in the industry. And a lot of people were like, I'm not- You're clever too. We didn't know I'm that. not going to buy anything from BS Press. Like, what, what are you saying? You're full of BS? And I was like, no, it's a play on words. Like, and people didn't get it. Now my company is called Millionaire Media. I made it very simple. Like, I create millionaires. But I still expose it, the trash in this industry- and that's basically what my whole business has been in. Like just once you find a truth, once you have a goal, you create products around that and you can do everything on your own. You don't need Wiley or any other publisher. There's endless tools. And, you know, I, I've ridden the wave of self-publishing. 
Did you write the book yourself? Yeah. I, I mean, I've always been in charge of all the content. It's such a kind of uh, not as simple industry as you want. Like, oh, you just spot scams. You spot the scam and you expose it. But there are a lot of subtleties. There are a lot of nuances. I've always been in charge of all content just because it's a very slippery slope. I don't trust anybody. I'm also a control freak. Everything goes through me with all the content and the teachings. With the book, when you're trading as well, I'm just trying to figure out the time allocation. Like, How much time did you have to spend at that point in time where you're just trading a little less whenever you start doing these other projects? No. So I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to control my addiction with trading. I should have explained this more. You know, I try to find other stuff to do in order not to trade. Back when I made my first million, I mean, I was traveling. I was watching movies. IMDb has a list of like the top 100 movies. So I watched all of those. I would read a lot. I have read probably nearly a thousand investment books now. So now teaching and kind of planning all this content helps me with my addiction because the best trades only come about every few days, sometimes even every few weeks in penny stocks. The hardest part is having the patience to wait, especially when you have a trading account, you have the ability to put that money to use every day, but sometimes the best trade is no trade. And how do you figure out when those best trades are going to come if it's every couple of days? Yeah. So for me, it's just a, a game of waiting for the right patterns. You know, again, if I'm trading Bitcoin, if I'm trading Amazon, if I'm trading Facebook, you're just trading the volatility. There's opportunity every single day. With penny stocks, every penny stock has a seemingly amazing story and they're all pretty much liars. For me, it's about when does the story get believed? When does the stock catch fire? When does the stock have the proper chart that I use? And that's it. Like today, there's no good charts for me to trade. I have disciplined myself not to trade. Okay. So that's basically what you look at. Maybe when you wake up or before the stock market opens, you kind of look at that. And then if it's not going your way, then you just don't even basically open up your uh, trading screen. Yeah. I mean, every now and then a trade pops up midday or, or in the afternoon. So I check it a few times, but you also know that the best trades usually takes several days or weeks to build up. When we were talking about Bitcoin boom and bust, it was fulfilling this kind of pattern that I teach for several days and several weeks before the big crash. So there are hot periods and, and down periods. And usually like summers are very slow, but the past two summers have been very strong. I don't believe in real seasonality. It's just about waiting for these multi-day patterns and multi-day, multi-week patterns to set up to give me kind of the optimal trading. If you're talking about being a control freak, are you still one today or have you slowly started to release that? And if so, how have you been able to do that? I've slowly released a little, you know, again, I, I hire people because I realize I can't do everything on my own. This new guy right outside my computer, his name is Pascal, and he's setting up the studio that we're filming in today because I don't know this shit. So I'm just going to talk about what I do know, the stock market. But it's not easy when you're a control freak to give it up. Like Pascal is just meeting me for the first time. He's smiling that I'm mentioning him right now but he's, he's about to have a fucking hellish day. <laughs> Why is that? Because I'm just a control freak. Because again, I see how I want to teach. I know the lessons that I want to give and I have a vision. I think that's important when you're starting a business. I think it's important to have a, a vision with where you want to go. Obviously react to customer feedback, react to the market. But since day one, I've always wanted to just get good information out there about the market because there's so little. 99.9% .9 of people who teach about the stock market or who are these online gurus are just full of shit. And I don't want to be that guy. I have the whole kind of thing that, like, if you go to my website, like, it, it looks scammy. Like, oh, you made millions. Oh, you create millionaires. But I back it up. I back everything the fuck up. And that's the difference. Have you noticed more of those over the years versus when you initially started teaching about 
fake gurus or whatever online or I guess through, I don't know, commercials or any other way that it could reach their consumers? Because it seems like, yeah, anytime you bring up kind of trading and you can make a million dollars, automatically people think negatively and that's bullshit artists. There's more online gurus now with the whole Bitcoin craze. Like, look, I made 30,000% on my piece of shit altcoin. And, and it's gotten easier to make a website and people seem to believe stuff on the internet. But to back it up, it's hard. I mean, you could make a case that all of Wall Street is like that. I mean, if you look at the stats, 90% of traders lose. 70% of all mutual fund managers don't beat the S&P 500 every year. The S&P 500 every year goes up on average 8 to 10%. And three quarters of the professionals in this industry can't even beat that. And they go on CNBC with their fancy business suits and they talk up their game. And most of the time, they're underperforming the market and they're taking a management fee and they're basically lying that they have some special gift and that they're going to do better. And so you can make a whole case that the entire Wall Street system is full of shit and you should just invest in the S&P 500 if you just want to make consistent market-based returns, which has done well over the past century. But for me, I want to show how if I'm making 8% per year on my initial 12,000, we're not talking here. I'm not traveling. I'm not donating millions of dollars. I'm not doing shit because my $12,000 after 20 years, I'm not good at math, but I'm making on average 2,000 a year or let's say 1,000 a year because it hasn't been the best 20 years. 20, my 12,000 would grow to what, 40,000? Like you need to have strategies if you want to beat the market. So there's different games being played here. And you're talking about, who's the guy with you setting up for the studio right now? Pascal. Yeah, so Pascal, and you're in Hollywood right now? I'm in Burbank. Burbank. Okay, so how did you meet him or how did you get connected with him? Because if you're traveling everywhere, I'm just wondering, is he traveling with you as well, helping you stuff up? I am just meeting Pascal for the first time. He's here setting up some microphones. I haven't even shook his hand yet. I just waved to him. I met him through this guy, Neil Patel, who does SEO on Google and he helps timothysykes.com rank higher on Google for like basic keywords. And then Neil found me. I don't even remember how, but once you're in business long enough, you meet a whole bunch of people and then you meet more people. So the key that I really want your listeners to understand is that if you create good work, whether it's a book or a DVD or a website or a video or you know whatever, that is your new business card. The internet is a whole new way of doing business where I don't even have a business card. Like, it's funny when people ask me for a business card. And I just say, fuck, like Google Timothy Sykes. That's my business. Everything is online. You can see what I do. You can choose what you want. I have a thousand free videos on YouTube. If you think I'm full of shit, watch a thousand free videos. But that is the new business. And we're at this amazing point in time in history where most people haven't even realized the change. This has all happened in the past decade. Bringing that up because I'm wondering how you stay organized or like have these people help you wherever you're traveling as well. Is Does it... it sound like I'm organized? Because I don't want to give off that impression. <laughs> well, to be able to have someone in a different location, I guess, setting things up for you, right? When you just well, got again, there. This, really... is, this is where money comes in. I mean, I pay people. If you have money and you have connections and you have a product, you can find people and you have a network. You know, I, I've heard this like your net worth is your network. So I have a pretty good network. And so we find people to do different stuff. That's what I'm asking. You said we. So, I mean, do you have assistants that like help you set up your daily schedule like months out or whatever when you're traveling? Because I mean, I have business partners. I have tons of different companies with partners and I say, okay, we need to film this. You know, I have assistants who, who help me find people and reply to emails. I mean, I'm getting 3,000 emails a day. 
There's a lot of technical help that I can't keep up with. I still read every email. But yeah, I, I have help. I mean, we have a, a team. I'm not just a one-man band anymore. Even though maybe you're selling yourself short about staying organized, but I think if you're traveling everywhere and being able to do all these things or jump on an interview with me, which we appreciate like right now while you're in California, that you have to have some type of organization. So that's what I was just trying to, I guess, learn from. We have an organization that's just not organized. It's business is booming because as more and more people see my content, it's kind of cool. A lot of people think that I am full of BS at first. Like my first millionaire student, Michael Good, wrote a blog post. I don't know if you can link the blog post, but he wrote a post that said, Timothy Sykes is full of bullshit. And that's how I found him because I have you know a Google alert where I can see anytime somebody mentions my name on the internet in a blog post or in a title or something. And he wrote that and we went back and forth in the comments. I think there's 50 or 60 plus comments and he gave my DVDs a shot. And guess what? He became my first millionaire student. He made now over 2 million. He moderates my chat room. So if I can turn my haters into believers and customers, I just have to find more people willing to study. That's the difference maker. You can believe I'm full of shit. You can believe that I'm doing good, but no matter what you believe, you need to put in the time and effort because I have... I think roughly seven or 800 hours of content between my DVDs, video lessons, and webinars online that you can dig through. I think that's important what you just said about putting in the time and effort because obviously you sound like a doer because I think a lot of people kind of dream about doing shit and then they don't do it or they're like, how did you get to where you are? But it sounds oh like, my God, it sounds like you work a lot, right? I can't tell you how many people are like, today's the day I'm going to make a trade. It's my first trade. <laughs> I've, I've been studying like okay, just fucking do it. I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're looking at water for the first time. You're like, should I get in or should I swim? Like, I want to be an Olympic athlete in swimming. Should I do my first stroke? In order to get to the Olympics in swimming, like you're going to need to do millions of strokes. So day one doesn't fucking matter. As long as you don't drown in swimming, it just doesn't matter. Like you just need to stay alive. Same thing with trading. This is why I tell people, if you are going to trade stocks, start small so that it doesn't hurt. Like the money that you make or lose and your first day, first week, first month, probably even first year isn't going to be life-changing. You have to learn the process. You have to learn the discipline. You have to get used to it. And then year two, year three, year four, year five is when you really master something. Year seven, year 10. I mean, I didn't even have really structured trading rules until like year seven. It's crazy how long it took me, but I didn't know the process. And do people ever come up to you and like say, how did you do it? Because I want to reemphasize the hard work part. Because again, I think a lot of people like, what can I do? What do I do? And just keep analyzing and just don't actually like, work hard. If you don't do anything, then it's not going to come to you. I mean, I tell my students, they have to think of themselves as scientists and you're, you're constantly trying to tinker and experiment. I got lucky starting in 1999. I had success because I was in the right place in the right time, basically. I didn't even know about short selling. If I had known about short selling and scams back in 99 or 2000, I probably would have been broke because back then scams, no different than today with Bitcoin, you know, scams would just keep going up and up and up. But I was too stupid. I was just getting started. So I was in the right place at the right time. But a lot of people made a lot of money back in 99 and 2000. Then they lost it in 2001, 2002. I did not. I actually doubled by learning short selling because I adapted my strategy and I learned to figure out what makes me money. So if you are going to get in the stock market or podcasting or swimming or anything, you need to adapt to what's working and you need to try every different strategy and see what works best for you. Like I said, I have several millionaire students, but they trade different patterns. They have different time horizons because they have different personalities. We have different strengths and weaknesses. So you have to do what fulfills you. You have to do what works for you and your schedule and your time zone and depending on what you're talented in. 
Do you ever get tired? In a physical sense or a mental sense? Oh, I guess either. Because I've watched, like I said, I've seen the TV show. I've watched multiple interviews with you. And you always have like high energy, good energy, which is great. You know, but I'm just like, I mean, I, it seems I, like you never so do. We're filming, <laughs> we're filming this at 10 a.m. I've been up since 4 a.m. Have not had breakfast or coffee or anything yet. But you're getting me at my high because I'm talking about what I love. I'm doing what I know. I'm glad that I can pass this down to your people. I think if you do what you love, you have insane amounts of energy that you don't even realize that you have. After this interview, I'm going to need a coffee because I'm filming for like six hours. But if you focus on your passion, it's amazing. I went on the Steve Harvey show, who was an amazing interviewer. You know, he flew out my parents, my students. It's a great little clip. If you Google Steve Harvey, Timothy Sykes, we talk a lot. We actually talked for an hour, but they edited it down to 10 minutes. But that was an interview with a live studio audience. He interviewed me and several other millionaires. It was like a three-hour clip. That was after he had already done his serious satellite radio show for four hours in the morning. And then after that, he was flying to film a special with Ellen that night. And he was just working as hard as he could, like talking to everybody in a good mood. And I was like, wow, that's that's amazing. And Steve Harvey, you know, if you ask him, I mean, he's doing what he loves. So if you focus on what you love, you have a lot more energy than you think. If you're working at a job, if you're working for somebody that you don't like, if you're doing something you don't believe in, it's amazing how little energy you'll have. I'll agree with that. Because when I was working on my first company, it just I started getting bored of it. So it's like less energy. I'm just like not interested in it versus like talking to people like you. My energy automatically goes up because I'm learning something new and it's, it's actually interesting to me. So, But at the same time, you do have to watch for your physical energy. I often overwork myself and my body can't keep up. So I get sick and I get exhausted based on the time zones, based on my work schedule, based on my travel schedule. So there's two different kinds of energies. And I would also caution you, do what you love, but you also have to contain that excitement and realize that, you know, we're only human. Like you don't want to push yourself into exhaustion. You don't want to burn out. So I have to learn. There's a word that, that I'm trying to learn. I keep seeing it pop up and it's, I think it's moderation. I don't know exactly what it means, but I'm trying to learn it. Yeah. No, understood. Is that how you pronounce it? Moderation? I think it's French. Is it moderation? I don't know. You're the world traveler. You tell me. I'm learning that. It's a new language for me, but this new word I think is going to play a big role in my life if I can learn it, which I probably can't. Well, I think the good thing is how you kind of figured out how to stop trading as much as like, you know, you wait for those patterns that you have to force yourself to do other things to keep that moderation, I guess, to an extent. In order to get there, you have to test. So for me, patience is key. And it took me several years to learn it, like to wait for the right patterns. In the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't, I'm like a newborn baby. I'm trying out every pattern. I don't know what's good and what's bad. So rule number one for me is always cut losses quick. I encourage people to experiment in the stock market and in finance. And you know, if you want to trade Bitcoin, but if you are in experimentation mode where versus like mastery mode, like you have to be very, very cautious because it's a very slippery slope and your money can get away from you very quickly. And then all your experimenting goes out the window. If you lose your account, if you lose your confidence, Already, I mean, 99% of my students, their friends and family are like, don't get into penny stock trading. It's a scam. Tim Sykes is a scam. And so the odds are already stacked against them. So anybody who actually fulfills my course and watches the video lessons and sees this stuff realizes that their friends and family are wrong. They just need to study. But you also need to protect. You can't expect to make a million dollars right away in anything. It's going to take time. And frankly, it's better to make a million dollars like three, four, five, ten 10 years in. Like I was screwed up in the head because I made so much so quickly. 
I didn't really earn it. And I think that when you don't really earn it, like you're kind of like a lotto winner. And if you look at the statistics on lotto winners, like they don't do well in life. They're very depressed. They can't handle it because deep down they know they didn't earn it. So a million dollars earned the right way after years of grunt work, after years of ups and downs is just more fulfilling. I think that's why I love my success as a teacher because I did not have success right away. I mean, for several years I had this thing called the millionaire challenge and I didn't have any millionaires and people would give me shit. It took time. You know, my average student starts with like two or $3,000. So they were gearing up on their way to a million. And then within a few weeks of each other, I had two millionaire students. So all that doubting, like as we talked about before we started recording, you know, the haters really pushed me forward. It, it helped me understand the journey as a whole. And once you understand the journey as a whole, the ups and the downs, no matter what journey you're on, you appreciate everything much more. And if someone was interested in your course, could you just tell us how much it would cost where they could go to find out more information on it? So we have so many different options. Like I said, we have a thousand free videos on my YouTube channel. I made one DVD for charity. This is interesting. If you go to howtomakemillions.com, it's a DVD for $300. It's 35 hours. It's online or, or streaming or hard copy DVD. People still use hard copy DVDs, which blows my mind. My laptop doesn't even have a DVD player, but you can get it hard copy or streaming. All of that money goes to charity. And that one DVD has now raised 3.5 million. So that is what funded the Timothy Sykes Foundation. Now I have new DVDs that I'm working on. That's all going to charity too. Because a lot of people say, hey, Tim, I want to learn, but fuck you. You already have too much money. I don't want to pay you. So I was like, okay, here's free videos. But people don't watch the free videos because they're free, so they don't value them. So I was like, oh my God, you can't pay me. You can't watch the free videos. Here's a video for charity. It's going to a good cause. You have to pay for it, so you value it. But I don't get any of it. And that seems to be the magic formula. So you should go to how to make millions or just look on YouTube and then kind of find you from there. Yeah. And timothysykes.com has 8,000 blog posts. And then on timothysykes.com, there's premium plans where you can spend $50 a month, $75 a month, $150 a month, depending on if you want video lessons or webinars, like there's different access and you choose your level of dedication. You know, I have part-time students, full-time students, some people who only have an hour a week. It's, it's totally up to you. Yeah. And Sykes is spelled S-Y-K-E-S, just so they know. Correct. Looking back, if you had to teach like one class to an entrepreneur or listeners, what would you want to teach them? How long is the class? Do I have all day or one hour? Yeah, all day. I've done all day live webinars before. It's interesting. It sucks. <laughs> all day? I mean, we could go over everything. We could go over the fucking history of the world in a day. I would say I would really focus on the whole tinkering and experimentation as a, a scientist kind of analogy where no matter what industry you're in, you're going to have to think of this as kind of like you're looking for your magic formula, which might be different from somebody else's magic formula. And you're going to need to think of this as a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, I, I have a lot of analogies, but trying to understand that when you're getting into something, it's a journey. It, and it's not just about how much money you make. It's not where you end up. It's the whole process. It's the ups, it's the downs, it's the wins, it's the mistakes, it's the successes, it's the failures, and it's, it's life, and it's beautiful. I, that's why I love entrepreneurship. I mean, this is life on crack. Just like Bitcoin is the stock market on crack, entrepreneurship is filled with so many twists and turns. You're catching me at a high point, but for many years, I struggled from running a hedge fund to not having meaning in my life, to not having any millionaire students for the first few years of my teaching. It's the whole process and it's beautiful. And if you do it right, you will find your monetary rewards. You'll find fulfillment. You'll find networks. You'll find friends. You'll have adventures. 
it's the absolute best. And I wish more people would document everything. It's kind of tough, obviously, on social media. I mean, if you look at my social media, it's just pictures of my, me like living the life and relaxing. If you look at my YouTube, I have two-hour videos where you know I'm talking about the ups and the downs. I'm excited for the future with technology as we're able to teach better and tell better stories so that more people can understand what they're getting into. But no matter what you do at first, have the right perspective where you're getting into something that is bigger than yourself. It's bigger than money. It's going to take a shitload of effort. It's going to take a shitload of time, but it'll be worth it. Well, thank you for those parting points. If someone to follow you on social media, what's one of the best ways to follow you or learn more? I have branded myself all around my name. So if you look at Timothy Sykes on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, I'm there. Instagram is my biggest. I got 1.1 million followers just because I have kind of a, a visually stunning life. But I'm on every network and I love trying to share with, you know, whatever I can do. And, and because you're so good looking, right? I, you know, it depends on whether I'm fat or skinny. I mean, I go like Jonah Hill, like right now I'm kind of mid range. When I'm fat, people literally say, Hey, do you know who you look like? And I say, <laughs> no, who? And they say, you know, like Seth Rogen. And when I'm thin, people say, Hey, you know who you look like? And I say, no. And they say Ben Affleck. So I can either be Rogan or Affleck and somewhere in between. There you go. Thank you again for doing the interview. And we really appreciate your time today. Tim. No, thank you for having me. And I hope I didn't scare you and your audience too much, but I'm just fucking passionate. All right. Well, thank you very much. Awesome, man. Thank you. Have a good one. Guess what I'm going to say next. Please share the podcast. If you want to keep hearing more episodes of Millionaire Interviews, then please take the time to share it with somebody else. It's a win-win-win if you share it. Let me explain. By sharing the podcast, here's our first win. You'll be helping the person you share it with. How? Well, they're going to become smarter by listening. Here's our second win. You'll be helping us by growing our listener base so we can attract sponsors. And finally, our third win you'll be helping yourself because the only way we can keep producing episodes is by growing our audience. So the continuation of millionaire interviews is in your hands. What are you going to do?